Let me pray and then we'll move into how the Holy Spirit equips. Uh, Father, we do pray now that as uh, we look at this passage uh, that we might uh, see how dear the church is to you, uh, how unity in Christ uh, is uh, so important and how we in our individual parts with the gifts that your Spirit distributes are to use those for the common good that each other is brought up and you are glorified. Uh, in Jesus' name, Amen. If you keep 1 Corinthians 12 open with you. So in our, in our first study, uh, we looked at how the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals Christ as the paraclete, the advocate. He parades Jesus before our eyes and shows him to be the one that he claimed to be. In recognising Christ, we recognise our own need and are convicted of sin and run to Christ for forgiveness and life. Uh, Earlier this morning, we looked in our second study at how the Spirit is the one who gives life. Uh, In fact, the Spirit defines life. Without Him, there is no life. With Him, we can live life as God intended it to be. The glory of that truth is that the life we, as Christians, enjoy is not by our own effort and ingenuity, it's a gift of God. Uh, It's through that miracle of rebirth or new birth. It is because the Spirit has moved sovereignly upon us and awakened us to our need, it's opened our eyes to to God's great provision of His Son for us, given us new hearts that desire Him. Uh, And so this morning, now we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's equipping work. Uh, Gifts is another way that we talk about this work. Now, people are fascinated uh, with gifts. Uh, I remember as a youth, uh, I went to another conference, uh, like a local church conference, um, and I I remember being uh, there and it was uh, more of a a charismatic nature and I remember the experience of uh, people speaking in, in, in tongues and being a little bit freaked out by it all, not knowing how to make sense of it. Uh, and so I spoke to my leader and he said, it's awesome, you need it. And I was like, oh, okay. So uh, I said, well, how do I get it? And he's like, well, you've got to ask, man. I was in the bath one time and I just asked and it just came on me. So uh, all right. So off I went and I'd, I'd see him throughout the week. He's like, you got it yet? <laughs> I haven't got it yet. I've been asking him, but it's just not happening. Uh, and it was an illustration of where you know a, a gift badly taught, and it, it just led me to a sense of not having assurance that the Spirit was working in my life. It, it led to great confusion. Uh, but we know that God, when when God speaks in creation, He creates order out of chaos. God's not a God of disorder. He's a God of order. He brings order to things, order to chaos. And so our life as, as a church, it should not be kind of overtly disorderly. Uh, God, God seeks to bring unity in Christ and for each other to be built up in that. And, and our gifts and the Holy Spirit's work in distributing those is for, for that end, uh, for the good health of the body and what I felt in that experience was that I was a dispensable part of the body. Uh, here was someone with a gift that uh, he could use and, and, and flatter people with, but here I was without that gift and I started to question my, my place in the body. Um, 
And so it's important that, as, as we kind of set in motion last night, that we have a biblically informed view of the Spirit's work. And, and it's only as we get a biblically informed view of the Spirit's work that you know, the scope and the wonder of that work will be displayed in all its glory and that we will see uh, the glory of uh, our God as, as Trinity as well. So people are fascinated with gifts, but it's not a new phenomenon really. Uh, if you open up with me to, to 1 Corinthians 12, uh, here we see a church who was fascinated with the Spirit's work, fascinated with particularly gifts. Now just to quickly give you a bit of context for 1 Corinthians, we know uh, that this is a church, so we know that these people are Christians. Now they're young Christians, but in chapter 1 verse 2 he calls them the Church of God in Corinth. But as you read through uh, the letters of, of 1 Corinthians, what you see is that it's a church who have struggled to be the church in the world. Uh, for their world, the world of Corinth, it was a, a very cosmopolitan city. It was a world where it was, it, was a, it was a trade route, so it had lots of different nations and lots of different people's gods coming in and out of that midst. So it was a world with many competing voices, and, and they were meant to be the church in the world. But what we see here is the world and potentially their former lives as well, had made its way into the church. They were meant to be the church in the world, but they were a worldly church. And Paul has responded uh, to a series of letters raising different issues, and he, and he seeks to respond by, by affirming what they should be as a church of God in the world, and, and how their life together particularly should be structured. And what we can pick up of this world is that it was a world that was seemingly spiritual. It was a world of pagan practices. It was a world of different idols. It was a world with impressive personalities, with impressive speaking abilities to dazzle uh, everybody with their wisdom. So it was a world where there would be kind of orators on the street who would, who would speak about their gods or speak about philosophy and their wisdom. And what we see is that the Corinthians were dazzled by this. Uh, they, they, they wanted some of this. Uh, maybe in a, in a Christianised form or a spiritualised form, but uh, we, we saw that this is a world where the individual seeks to flaunt self and the world of experiential is impressive. And, and this was making its way into the church. This is what the Corinthians thought it mean, meant to be spiritual. But their spirituality had fallen under some serious delusions. They thought that now in Christ to be spiritual was being the bearer of spectacular gifts of the rock star variety. They sought uh, esteemed and, and deep and profound insights. They wanted to see acts of extravagant generosity or brave and costly testimony and they were parading their gifts as some sort of spiritual accomplishment, a one-upmanship a one to see how much I mean to God. But in the process, what they had done is divided their community into haves and have-nots. Those with the ability to speak in tongues and prophesy were definitely in the, the have section and, and those who were not, maybe with the, the lesser spiritual gifts of hospitality and encouragement, well, they were the have-nots. And Paul draws us all in to look at what is truly spiritual. So in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Now about the gifts of the spirits, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
Now, if you know that the Corinthian church, they were very much impressed by wisdom. Uh, so they were impressed by profound speakers and, and, and wisdom and knowledge. Uh, you see that in the early chapters of 1 Corinthians. And then suddenly Paul here says, Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You can see how that must be a bit of a low blow for them. I mean, they were the spiritual, they were the knowledgeable. And suddenly Paul's saying, No, I don't want you to be uninformed. And in the process, he's setting out what it means to be truly spiritual. So this morning I'm going to have three headings. So all Christians are spiritual. We're looking at verses 1 to 3. All Christians are gifted, verses 4 to 26. And you are the body, so be one in verses 27 to 31. So 1 to 3, I'll read again. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. On your outline, let me just... Is that a bit confusing or is it... So if you turn to the fourth one, is that right? So it says transforms but everything else is equipping and then we'll do the opposite when we get together next time. Any questions? Is that sorted? Brilliant. We all there? Sorry if you started writing notes. I probably could have told you that earlier. Um, so let me start again with all Christians are spiritual. Verses 1 to 3. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. See, Paul here is referring to back to some correspondence he had received about uh, or concerning the gifts of the Spirit. But the word spiritual gifts here also means spiritual matters or, or spiritual people. So immediately Paul is setting up the discussion about what true spirituality is. And part of that discussion is gifts. But what we'll find out in this chapter is that Paul only uses gifts to illustrate how true spirituality is to be exercised. Our concern should not be what gifts the Spirit gives us, but why the Spirit gives them. And Paul uses gifts to illustrate how true spirituality looks. He recasts the whole conversation in a subtle way. Firstly, by hitting him where it hurts, about what it means to be spiritual. I don't want you to be uninformed. As we've seen, that that would have, you know, that would have hit them where it hurt. Um, but also, they had elevated certain spiritual gifts, leaving others behind feeling inferior. They were proud, they were spiritual. And Paul doesn't want them to be uninformed. And in fact, he goes on to remind them, in fact, you know, not so long ago, you worshipped idols. It wasn't so long ago you were wrong. What makes you think that you can't go wrong again? And in doing so, he redefines who is spiritual. So who is spiritual here? Well, Paul says it's those who by the Spirit who can say Jesus is Lord. It is those in Christ. For only those with the Spirit, those spiritual, can make such a profession. Who are the spiritual? Well, they are the Christians. Well, what do the spiritual look like? Well, it seems a little different to what they thought and maybe a little different to what we think. So what we'll see is true spirituality isn't about the gifts. 
he's about to speak about. It's about having the Spirit which enables us to say Jesus is Lord. It's about being in Christ. All Christians are spiritual, which means all Christians are equal. You may not feel spiritual, but all Christians are spiritual. And all Christians are equal. Well, the second point, all Christians are gifted, verses 4 to 27. I'll read a few of those out. There are different kinds of gifts, from verse 4, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And what we see here is that gifts, by their nature of being gifts, require a giver. God gives gifts. What is significant here for us is that the Spirit is described as the great distributor of gifts. In verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another the faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous signs. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between Spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and same Spirit, and he distributes them, each one just as he determines. Paul at this point goes into talking about gifts to illustrate his point. (coughs) See, what Paul is, is not doing here is he's not trying to create an exhaustive list of gifts. There are actually other lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, uh, we see that in, in Romans 12 and in 1 Peter 4. Uh, but Paul's point here you know, is not that if we counted them all up, there's, there's 20 gifts uh, and, and you've got to figure out which one you are. You know? it's, it's not like you kind of go, hiya, got gift 16. Uh, yeah, it's a particularly good one actually, 16. Uh, it, it's, it's not like that. He's not distributing the gifts or not listing the gifts. Uh, to draw attention to them, because some of the gifts, as you read through them, are not very spectacular. So, so that begs the question for us, well, what is a spiritual gift? Well, let me give you a definition. Spiritual gifts are God's empowering his people through the Holy Spirit for kingdom, life and service, enabling them in attitude and action to live and minister in a way which glorifies Christ. I'll unpack that a bit, but I'll read it again. Spiritual gifts are God's empowering his people through the Holy Spirit for kingdom, life and service. Uh, The Spirit enables them in attitude and action to live and to serve in a manner which glorifies Christ. So they're given by a good God. They're distributed by the Spirit so that we would seek the kingdom and grow his people and help us to use them in a way which glorifies Jesus. And so as we read through some of these lists, these gifts sometimes are related to natural abilities. Uh, Gifts of speaking, for instance, or of generosity. And others seem to be a bit more out of the ordinary. Uh, Speaking in tongues or prophecies, whatever your view is, and we'll touch on that a bit later. Some involve natural ability to speak, others... to others with the involvement of the Holy Spirit to to particularly speak to the heart. The fact is, in the New Testament, they don't define their terms and and that's not their intention. 
They were, they were dealing with particular situations and not trying to write an exhaustive list of gifts. So Paul is not laying down a list of all the gifts. The list is not there for individuals to identify and pursue their gifts. And, and that's not to say that if we have gifts we don't use them. We'll see that if we have gifts we do use them. But it's not Paul's point here. His point is unity. See, Paul observes that the Corinthians were wooed and wowed by these gifts and he, they wanted them and they wanted them so they could flaunt them. But Paul is illustrating here how the spiritual are to use their gifts in this situation. And how does he do it? Well, he says, well, in fact, all Christians are spiritual. There's not a spiritual elite. All Christians are spiritual. Each is given gifts by God. In verse 7 it says that each one is given gifts by the Spirit. So is there such things as spiritual gifts? Yes. Everyone is gifted though. Everyone. And there are many gifts. There's a diversity of gifts. But the gifts are given in their diversity for one purpose. And we see that that purpose is the common good. The purpose of gifts is for the common good, to build up the church and to equip her for mission. And so what we see primarily is gifts are not about me, they're about others. There is an other person-centeredness to the gifts of the Spirit. They are there to serve the community's good. The one is to serve the many, which means that gifts are not there to promote self. They're not a form of self-therapy. They're not to foster Christian celebrity or, or a kind of rock star syndrome. They're not an index of the, of the depth of Christian character or maturity. They're there to promote the common good, uh, to build up the church. Let me just make a note on, on unity and, and diversity. See, God, by diversity I mean, I mean variety. God gives his church with a, a variety of gifts and we've seen a small list of those. And, and as we look around the church and as you look around particularly the group of people around you, it is full of different kinds of people. And that's how it is meant to be. Churches are meant to be diverse places. Why? Because that's, that's what it means to be in the image of God. See, our God is one. He is he's a unity. He is trinity. But he is triune. He is God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit. There is diversity there. And we in, in, in the church... We image this unity and diversity. God is one, but there's three persons. And we image that as the church. We're united as one church in Christ, but we're full of diverse individuals united in him. So we are individuals, yes, but we are individuals in the context of community. And what does that mean for gifts? Well, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. This is verse 4. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in every one of them, there is the same God at work. There is one God, yet the same Spirit gives us different gifts. There is one God, but he works in and through us in different ways. See, we encounter problems when we emphasise the individual over the many. We move away from what God intended and delights in. See, if we miss the need for variety and diversity, we end up with uniformity, that is, sameness. So as you look around the room, we should celebrate the diversity that's here. We don't want to be looking at everybody who's exactly the same. That's not God's intention. 
The only kind of sameness that God wants or conformity that God seeks to work in us is that we be like Jesus. The only norm is Jesus. But as you look around the room, as people are shaped by the Spirit to look like Jesus, that's going to look like a lot of different ways. And that's a thing to celebrate. See, we can equally miss the need for unity. We can end up with so many individuals that diversity becomes division. It can lead us to thinking individually that we don't need others. We forget that we were created to be interdependent, that we need others. And so it is with gifts. The Spirit gives different types of gifts to each one. Although there is one God, he works in and through us in different ways. Yet at the same time, the gifts are given for the same one purpose. And that is, verse 7, the common good. It builds up community. Diverse gifts are given for the community's good. Not the individual. God delights in the fact that we are a diverse group. He delights in the community. The church is described as the apple of his eye. And so how are we to be that beautiful body in which he describes? Well, we are a group unified in Christ, but we are a diverse group of people. And he goes on to explain that particularly how that looks with the use of our gifts in verses 12 to 27, body beautiful. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The body is made up of diverse members, and to function as it was meant to, each is needed. See, it would be ludicrous for certain members to start playing each other off, questioning their necessity, like Paul illustrates that. So if the hand started proposing that, you know, I don't really like feet, I just want a body of hands. Now, apart from looking incredibly freaky, (laughs) it's just stupid and it sounds stupid and that's what Paul's trying to highlight. This is how the Corinthians were acting. And I think, as a side note, when the Bible talks about grieving the Spirit, this is kind of what it's talking about. Grieving the Spirit can be a reality in our lives as a a corporate group, our lives together, or as individuals, when we say one thing and, and do another. And when we grieve the Spirit, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. How do we grieve the Spirit? Well, when in our life together or as individuals we say one thing and we, and we do another. How we relate to one another as a body to Christ, of Christ matters. So when we act in a way which creates disunity, that grieves the Spirit. It matters to God. Because Paul says here that we are united to one body, united to Christ our head. We are all valued members and we, and we need each other to function properly. So each part is important. Each part needs each other. Now I don't know how you feel as you sit there hearing this. Do you look around the room and see the gifts of other people and feel inferior? Do you feel like you're not good at anything? Do you feel like you've got nothing to contribute Well, the Spirit has given you gifts. You do. 
Look around the room. These people need you. And as we read in 1 Corinthians, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. Verse 23, And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Why? While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, the whole part rejoices with it. Look around the room. These people, your church needs you. (coughs) Other people's contributions may not be spectacular, but they are vital. In fact, look at verse 24. God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it. This is a community where the lowly are treated with honour. Those who are dependent upon one another and care for one another. But we are an interdependent community, so I don't know how you're feeling as you sit and look around you, but what is important is that unity matters. See, gifts of the Spirit are to be used interdependently for the benefit of the community. The problem was this couldn't be further from the truth for the Corinthians. The flip side is also true. As you look around the room, so so people need you, but you need others. So as you sit there and look around the room, these people are here for your good. These people are here to help you grow into conformity to Jesus. So don't, don't resent the people that you're with. You thank God for the people you're with. And when you see people with gifts and they're using them well, well, praise God that they're using them well. Praise God that he's, he's gifted them in that way. And encouragement, encourage them in to use those gifts in a way which is going to serve the body. So others need you, but you need others. This is the way God has formed his community in Christ so that we're built up and made mature in him. Unity matters. The gifts given by the Spirit are to be used for the benefit of the community. And the tragedy of Corinthians is that these gifts have become the things which divided them. So the question is, in your community, does... Do gifts divide? Are they haves and have-nots? Do you rejoice in the gifts of others? (coughs) Well, if you aren't doing these things, or if they are causing disunity, that is what grieving the Spirit is. Now, before we draw out some implications, I'm just going to say a brief word on prophecy and tongues. So look with me at verses 27 to verse 30. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance and of different kinds of tongues. But are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. Now after he's rattled off these gifts, he raises these questions. Are all prophets, are all apostles, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Well, the safe answer to presume here is no. So as we think about this gift of prophecy 
and tongues, the first thing to be mentioned is that not all have this gift. But Paul lists, again, these certain gifts, particularly uh, they're important. He seems to indicate that here some gifts are more important in the life of the church than others. And so when he, he talks about the desiring of greater gifts, the use is always to be motivated by love for the good of the community. But they, they may be certain gifts, for instance, teaching the word of God, which is, is, is more important in the life of the church. Does that make the person more important? Absolutely not. But it's important as their role in the life of the church. But always behind it is love for others as a true motivation. So whatever gifts we desire, and he calls us desire, to desire greater gifts, that desire is always to be motivated by love. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he will go on and speak to great length about what true love is. That should be the motivating factor behind wanting gifts, a love of God and a love of others. Well, what is tongues and prophecy? These gifts are mentioned here in 1 Corinthians 12 and in chapter 14 also. And there is varied opinion particularly about what these particular gifts are. Uh, and, and it's difficult to kind of wade through. So much ink has been spilt trying to figure out what these things are. So with tongues, uh, we see in the New Testament, as mentioned in, in the account of the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, in Acts 2, we read that earlier. Uh, tongues came down upon men and people were speaking in different languages. Uh, Graham Cole, who is a, an Australian theologian here, he helpfully highlights the difficulty in trying to interpret this in a kind of question form. So he asks these questions. Are tongues here ordinary languages but unknown to the speaker at the time? Were they a form of ecstatic speech? Uh, is it the language of angels? Uh, these are actually suggestions. What we, what we do see is uh, from 12, uh, sorry, chapter 12 verse 30 is that he didn't expect everyone to speak them. That's where he expects that negative answer. In chapter 14, he says he wished the situation were otherwise. I wish you would all speak in tongues, but we should not confuse a wish with a command. Um, so, for instance, I'm not confusing a wish with a command. It may, he desires that people have this gift of tongues, whatever it is, and we'll go into that. But that's not a command that everyone should have the gift of tongues. And in that, illustrating that, that story at the beginning, there, that was the presumption that was there, that to be you know, the Holy Spirit to be dwelling within me, I should be speaking in this language of tongues. But that is not Paul's point. There is no expectation that everyone has these gifts, even though we should desire them. See, because what that does is it divides a community into haves and have-nots. And it's the same with prophecy. I'll, I'll put it in question format again. Was prophecy a revelation on par with the prophets of the Old Testament? Was it a lesser form of spirit-directed communication? Could prophecy have simply been the proclaimed gospel or inspired applications of it? Well, what are they? Tongues and prophecy. Well, with tongues, basically, with tongues we can't really be sure. Were the events in Acts 2 and the ones that they talk about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, are they the same? Well, we can make a stab, and I think Don Carson helpfully does in saying that the tongues spoken at Pentecost and those spoken in Corinth were not essentially different. That is to say, they were real languages 
that were, that were with understandable content, but they served different functions. But we can't with too much confidence know what tongues were at that time. Graham Cole, the same theologian, puts it nicely here when he says, these are huge and controversial questions. On Monday to Wednesday, my own view is that the tongues at Pentecost where those dip at and Corinth differ. For the rest of the week, I feel they were the same. Uh, I like that measure of humility in a theologian as he kind of approaches these things. He's basically saying we don't know were tongues spoken at Pentecost and the tongues that Paul speaks about in Corinthians 12 and 14, were they the same? We don't know. Uh, what can be confident, and I think Don Carson is helpful here, is that they essentially seem to be the same and they were real languages which served different functions in the place there. As for prophecy, it is at least a form of communication at Pentecost it was a, a foretelling. So, so Peter prophesied. He, he foretold what mighty works of God would happen. At Corinth, prophetic activity is described in, in 1 Corinthians 14.25 as disclosing the secrets of the heart. And as you, you look at different prophets in the New Testament, so for instance, the prophecies in the prophets, sorry, in the early chapters of Luke, one of the characteristics you see of them is that they are used by the Spirit to expose the hearts of the hearers. Or if we think about Acts 2, when Peter speaks and prophesies about the mighty works of God, which are what Jesus has done in his death, resurrection and ascension, what happens? Well, the people are cut to the heart. So his prophetic word there was was used by the Spirit to expose the hearts (coughs) of the hearers. I mean, they're just some thoughts on those questions and, and the reality is there's ambiguities there that we just have to live with. But I think what we need to be thinking about is often these gifts are ones that are wanted to be, to be wielded for our own benefit. But what we see here, the gifts are always other person-centred for the building up of the church. So my best stab is that tongues spoken at Pentecost and Corinth were not different. That is to say, they were real languages with understandable content to encourage. And in prophecy, I think it's a unique ability to bring the word of God to bear on each other's lives in such a way that it exposes and cuts us to the heart by the Spirit. That's my stab on Monday to Wednesday. But the main point in thinking about gifts is that we see that they are there for the common good. And so what are the implications here of of the diverse gifts in the body of Christ? Well, the first one is we should enjoy difference. God delights in variety. So should we. So should we. So as we look around and that people are different from you is a thing to celebrate. In God's providence, he has made each of us uniquely and given us different gifts. Don't resent that. Delight in that. And the gifts that the Spirit has distributed to you, seek the opportunities that you can use, so you can seek opportunities to use them for the good of the community and the gospel. What are the gifts that God gives us? Well, more often than not, the, the gifts that God gives you will be those areas which you're most passionate about. Run with that. 
We want church communities to be places where people flourish, that are life-giving, gift-enabling. So delight in the fact that God has gifted us in different ways. But equally, don't feel superior. See, we need to remember that gifts indicate nothing about you except that God has given you gifts. Grace is the way that gifts came to you and grace is the way that they should be used. Love is the only thing that is of any real and lasting value and worth. And he goes on in great detail to explain that in 1 Corinthians 13. So gifts are given to the community. That means that gifts are never about your self-fulfilment. Gifts are about service rather than self-fulfilment. When we focus on gifts apart from the community, it means that we descend into an individualism and get on with our own thing. The gifts are not to be used in isolation but in love as part of an interdependent community. Gifts are given to build up the church and its mission. And that may mean for a lot of us that we need to do something. Have you got gifts that you're ripping off your community by sitting on your bum? If God has gifted you in ways in which you can serve and build up this community, well, use them. Encourage one another in the gifts that God has given you to use them for the body's good. But it will almost certainly require self-sacrifice. And more often than not, it does require us doing things we don't want to do. So can I encourage you to think about that? It's, it's great news that the Spirit equips us, but the Spirit equips us in Christ to, to use our gifts in a way which build each other up. They're, they're to be exercised in love to, seek, to see the church flourish, the body flourish as it's meant to be. So celebrate the diversity of gifts. <coughs> celebrate diversity as you look around this room and encourage one another to use the gifts that God's given you for his glory and in the building up of one another. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we admit that at times when we read your scripture, um, we, we struggle to understand things. Uh, we want to know everything, whereas uh, things are not revealed to us in certain ways. But Lord, we pray that we might not kind of... in the absence, absence of clarity in times chase after things and miss the main point. We thank you that you so clearly point out what is dear to you, uh, that is your glory uh, and, and your church being that gathered people which displays your glory. And so, Lord, when we think about gifts and the way your spirit equips us, uh, Lord, may you be shaping us uh, to use our gifts Uh, that you have given us in Christ for the good of your body and for your glory. Uh, Lord, may we celebrate the diversity of gifts that you have given us. Uh, Lord, may we think of creative and imaginative ways in which we can put them to fruition for the good of the gospel and for the good of your family. Uh, In Jesus' name, Amen.